Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Come on, let's all smile together. Come on. Doesn't that feel better? It sure looks better to me. So good to see you today. You that are online, you did that too, right? Come on, big smiles. There we go. So good to see you guys today as we continue a series. I want to say just a word before we get into message time, though. Last Wednesday night, for those of you that were here, know exactly what I'm about to say. Praise God. <laughs> It was an amazing night. We had over 100 people gather to learn about the growth track and, and what's going on in terms of taking our church to that place of depth. I, I said to the group on Wednesday night, you know, our church is kind of known in the area as being a big church. What I really am praying for is our church will be known in the area as a deeply mature church. People that absolutely love Jesus walking in uh, the word of God and the, and the abundant life that Jesus has prepared for us. And so if you haven't had a chance to get in, if you're here and you don't even know what I'm talking about, go on our website, click on groups, Princeton. You'll see the, the list of groups there. Two more weeks, we start the new semester, the first week in June. I hope you plan to be a part of that and, uh, and just jump in. Let's go on the growth track together and let's deepen our relationship, our maturity, our understanding of who God is together, okay? 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 All right, let's get into it. We're in a series we're calling The Shepherd, and today we're talking about this idea of relaxing because of the shepherd. Last week we started by reading the full Psalm 23 in the New King James Version, one perhaps that is poetic, and we've read it many times over the years. Uh, this week I, I ran across uh, what somebody termed the 21st century version. I thought we'd start there today. Let me just read it to you, and you tell me if it's, if it's true. The clock is my dictator, I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done, for my ideal is always with me. Deadlines and need for approval, they drive me. They demand things from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressures shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. Have a great week. Anybody relate to that one? You just sit real still. Or is that just normal living in the 21st century? I mean, is that, is that a good thing, a bad thing? I mean, what is it? How do you know the difference between needing to slow down and relax and just being a busy person? I mean, how do you process that? Have you ever asked that question? You're in luck because I ran across just this week the top 10 ways to know that you need to take a, a chill break, that you need to slow down, that you need to relax a little bit. So I thought I'd read them to you and tell you what, uh, this is a no elbow throwing zone. You're not allowed to throw elbows here. Not going to ask you to raise your hand if you identify with them. Just point at the people that, that we're talking about, okay? Just point at them and go, like that. Okay, here we go. The top 10 ways that you know you need to chillax, you need to relax, you need to chill out. Number 10, you head out for parent night at school and you realize you don't know what school your kids go to. Number nine, when your to-do list, your daily to-do list is longer than most people's weekly to-do list and you're proud of it. 
Number eight, when your friends say, you're going to be late for your own funeral. Might need to relax a little. Number seven, when you consistently use your day off to catch up on unfinished work. Ouch. Number six, when all your friends are saying, slow down, where's the fire? Number five, when sick days at work are only to be used when you've had a heart attack. Number four, when within five minutes of sitting still, you find yourself fidgeting, drumming your fingers, or gritting your teeth. A little nervous laughter over here. I don't know what that's about. Number three, when you can't turn your cell phone off even for church. No guilt trips here, but if we hear your cell phone go off during the service, we're just all going to turn to you and go, you, 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 you. And everybody's reaching for their phones right now to check and just see, make sure. Number two, when your family writes you a letter and addresses it to occupant, you might need to chill. The number one way to know that you need to chill out, relax a little bit, is when you only take business-related reading material into the bathroom. That's the final straw. You've got to draw the line. If you identify with even half of those, then that first version of Psalm 23 may be more accurate than you want to admit. The question is, what kind of life uh, does God have in mind for us? What, 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 this custom-designed, fulfilling, abundant life that he designed for us, what, what does it look like? Tell you what, listen to Psalm 23, verse 1 and 2. I'm giving it to you in the NIV today. It'll be on the screens. You can go to the Bridge NC app and follow along. All the scriptures and notes are there. I'll send you these notes if, if you want them. Just email me at info at be glad to share these notes with you. But for now, follow along with me. Maybe you brought a Bible. You can flip there as well. Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Do, do those phrases sound hectic to you? They don't, do they? I mean, in fact, if you're a sheep and if sheep could talk, you'd say, man, it don't get no better than this. That's the way it is. But on the other hand, let's just be honest, guys. If you're like me, laying around in a pasture beside unmoving waters, boring. (laughs) That's not exactly my idea of, of, of abundant life either. So the question is, what did David mean when he said those things? The psalmist laid it out for us. This is what the shepherd does. What did he mean? And the answer to that question is that it's poetic language that refers to two very vital areas of our lives. That lying down piece refers to rest and the quiet waters refers to refreshment or renewal. So he's saying he will help us. He will bring us. He will make us if need be rest and renew, rest and renew are a critical part of the abundant life, the fulfilling life that God designed for us. So if you don't get anything else today, get this. We talked about it a little bit last week. I'm going to reinforce it every week. The job of the shepherd is, anybody remember? It is to guide, provide, correct, and protect. It is to guide, provide, correct, and protect. Say it with me. It is to guide, provide, correct, and protect. Part of that is guiding you to the fulfilling life that he's provided, and that fulfilling life is not 90 miles an hour, 24-7, 365. 
That abundant life, that fulfilling life includes rest and renewal. And so in the few minutes I've got with you today, I want to give you uh, just a simple formula for you to kind of check up every now and then and say, how am I doing in this area? And I realize some of you uh, probably don't need this message. In fact, maybe some of you need a message on uh, Paul's word to the church at Thessalonica. If you won't work, you don't eat. I mean, maybe you're on the other end of the equation. But I think for the vast majority of us here today, uh, we need to stop and do a checkup on this rest and renewal thing every now and then. So I've, I've actually put it in an acrostic to help you uh, remember it. Maybe you can post it somewhere on a refrigerator or bathroom mirror. Remind yourselves from time to time uh, that God has a formula for relaxing. And again, I've put it in that acrostic, relax. Let's get into it. The R stands for realize how much God loves you. If you're ever going to relax, you've got to start there. Realize how much God loves you. And the reason we start there is that an awful, an awful lot of people push themselves because they confuse their work with their worth. They get this idea that, that, uh, that somehow those two things are, are connected. In fact, it's, it's hard not to do that because we live in a culture that does that. Am I right? I mean, you meet somebody new and you get into a conversation and you start asking them questions, you know, where do you live? Are you from the area? Eventually the conversation goes to what do you do for a living? And they say, well, you know, I'm a brain surgeon. Then we go, oh, I in the conversation. They say, well, I park cars. You go, oh, it's the same word. It's just a little different intonation because we place value on people based on what they do for their living. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying your work isn't important, and I'm not saying that you're not going to get meaning and purpose from your work. I'm not suggesting that for a minute. I'm just saying that your worth is not based on your occupation. And as long as you believe somehow that those two things are connected, you will never relax because there's never enough done. So at the bedside of a man a few years ago, who came out of a religious system that was very legalistic and, and he worked hard. He was probably as, as stern a rule keeper as I've ever known. He worked hard to try to make sure he kept the rules. And on his deathbed, he said to me, I'm terrified, Pastor Jim. And I said, why? He said, I don't know if I did enough. Couldn't quite wrap his brain around. Um, Jesus did enough. You can trust that. Not trust yourself. I actually have a book in my library that I bought for me. Secular book, but it's full of truth. It's called The Imposter Phenomena. If I'm so successful, why do I feel like a fake? Some of you might need to borrow that book sometime because there's this drive that says, I haven't quite done enough. And, and understand, that this is a, an easy sermon for some of you. It's going to be a hard one for some of you. It's been a tough one for me. All week I've struggled. Kim can tell you, last night at 830, I'm still working hard to try to figure out how to say these things, not to you, to me, because I've struggled with this all my life, particularly since my young adult days when when uh, my stepfather was a hog farmer down in Sampson County and, and we killed a hog every year Thanksgiving and I stayed up all night, you know, the old style way with the oak wood and burn the, the burn barrel and, <clears throat> and then transfer the coals over to the pig and we cooked the pig all night long and then the family gathered the next day. I was probably 21, 22 at the time. And, and when the family gathered, my uncle was enjoying the barbecue and he said, who cooked this? And somebody said, Jim did. And he said, Jim did? 
you, you have to do this all night, don't you? I said, yeah, I just stayed up all night. And he said, uh, I didn't think you were that smart. You understand old school ways, you from North Carolina know what he's talking about. He, didn't, he wasn't saying I had limited intelligence. He was saying I th he thought I was lazier than that. Those words, I didn't think you were that smart, have been in my head for 50 years. And when I sit down, my uncle's words are in my brain again. Guys, this stuff can drive us so that we never relax until we finally realize I am loved, not because of what I do, but because of who he is. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, when you were unable to help ourselves, Christ died for us. Although we were living against God, very few people will die to save the life of someone else, although perhaps for a good person someone might possibly die. But God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners, while we weren't doing nothing lovable. Is that the right grammar? I don't know, but you get the point. When everything about us was a reason to reject and push us away, God said, I love you so much. I'll send my only begotten son for you. When you get that, and I don't mean just get that. I don't mean just give mental assent to it. I don't mean just, yeah, Pastor Jim was right. Uh, I should probably think that way. When I'm talking about when you, when you allow yourself to feel his love on that level. When you allow yourself to relax enough to experience God's love his unconditional love, you can finally begin to learn to relax. You know the feeling of love, right? You know what that feels like? Anybody remember your first love? Oh, I remember mine well. I'm sorry, Kim, uh, but I remember her well. Uh, her name is Peggy Wagner. Kim knows about Peggy. Raven, black hair flowed beautifully across her shoulders, a figure that other girls would die for, 21, 21, 21. <laughs> Three foot, two inches tall, 48 pounds. Okay, we were in the first grade. Okay, we were in the first grade. But man, did I love her. I used to sit in class and write her name on my arm in ink. I just, and I'd get home and, and my mom would say, what in the world is on your arm? Oh, it's nothing, it's just... Just I wrote Peggy's name on my arm. She said, you wash that off right now. And I, oh, but then, so the, the problem is that the love lasted about as long as the ink did, you know, because then they'll move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. That was, that was my motto in the first grade. Uh, I was, you know, kind of uh, rush them and crush them and then flush them. That's kind of what I did. Uh, <laughs> but I have a good friend who had... His first love was so deep, he decided ink wasn't enough, so he tattooed her name on his arm. And so he put Doris on his arm, and, and, and it's really nice, and it reminded how much he loved her. Of course, his wife, Betty, doesn't care for that tattoo <laughs> all these years later. And yes, I changed the name to protect the innocent and the guilty, okay? But he was in love. Turned out to be puppy love, but it was real to the puppy, Okay. So do you know how much God loves you? Do, do you know? 
Isaiah 49, 15 to 16, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? He said, is that possible? Of course not. How, how could she possibly forget that she has a child? He says, even if that were possible, though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Guys, when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to say, come here. I want you to listen to the scars in my hands as they scream silently to you, I love you this much. Let it wash over you. Let it define you. Let it become that characteristic that defines how hard you work and when you relax and how you approach life. In fact, just close your eyes with me just a minute. Maybe lay your head back just a little bit and take a deep breath. Come on, just all together, take a deep breath. Hold it there for a second. Ponder that image of Jesus saying, this is how much I love you. Now let it out slowly. Some of you are dizzy with his love right now, or maybe it's more oxygen than you've had in a long time. But whatever, let his love wash over you. You got the point, right? Took more time with that one than I can with the other four because I wanted to be sure you get that. That's the basis for it all. If you want to relax, you got to realize how much God loves you. The E in relax stands for enjoy what I already have. Enjoy what I already have. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 13 Solomon wrote, every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Well, that seems obvious. We should enjoy what we've got. But is it possible to get so preoccupied with the next thing that you don't enjoy the thing you already have? I won't ask you if it's ever happened to you. I just ask you if it's possible. And, and the reality is it is. That's exactly what Solomon did until he finally figured out in chapter 4, verse 6, one handful of peaceful repose is better than two fistfuls of worried work. Hear me, guys. The American dream is incredibly expensive. Not just in terms of dollars and cents, but in terms of the abundant life. Who? Whoever came up with the idea anyway that every generation is supposed to be better off financially than the previous one? Where did that come, where did that come from? Well, where did this idea come from that young people are supposed to start their adult life at the level it took their parents 30 years to get to? Where did that, where did that even come from? I can promise you it did not come from the shepherd that wants to give you abundant, fulfilling life. One handful of peaceful repose is better than two fistfuls of worried work. If you're ever going to relax, you've got to realize how much God loves you, and you've got to decide to enjoy what you already have. The L stands for limit my labor. Limit my labor. In other words, you've got to put some boundaries on your labor. You've got to decide in advance uh, two things. Number one, you've got to decide how many hours you're willing to give to work. In other words, how many hours you're willing to take away from family, friends, fun, self-health. You've got to decide in advance how much of your life you're going to invest in your work. And then, number two, here's the harder part, you then have to stick to the decision that you made, even if that means adjust your lifestyle to be able to afford living within those means. 
I know, I know. I can, always, I can already hear some of your thoughts. I hear you, Pastor Jim, and, and I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that as soon as I get caught up at work. You know, we're just, we're just kind of doing this for a while, but, but, you know, it's just temporary. Have you figured out yet that temporary solutions are permanent lifestyles? I could tell you so many stories of people. We were in Hampton Roads, Virginia for so many years, and a huge percentage of the people that we knew worked in the, the Norfolk Naval Shipyard or the Newport News Shipyard, and, and overtime was always available to these guys and gals. And, and I could tell you the difference 20 years later, the people who, who, who took that overtime and built it into their lifestyle, and 20 years later were exhausted and, uh, because they depended on that overtime. And others who said, no, I'm going to spend time with fam, family. Family, friends, church, I'm going to spend some time living. And at the end of the day, in many cases, they were better off than the ones who drove so hard. But Pastor Jim, you, you don't understand my responsibilities. I, I know, I'm, I'm, we're not here to judge you. I'm not here to try to beat you up. But I do know Solomon said this in chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, verse 15. The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. I love the good news paraphrase of that verse. It goes like this. Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. Some of you may need to write that down, put it on the refrigerator for your spouse. No, I didn't know. I know I didn't say do that. No. Of course, the most important question is, is what does God say about this? Exodus chapter 20, verse 9 and 10. Work and get everything done during six days a week. But the seventh day is a day of rest to honor the Lord your God. The boundary that God set for us, I'm talking about you setting boundaries for yourselves. The boundary that God set for us is that we work hard six days a week. And on the seventh, we rest and renew. We worship and, and restore. That seventh day is set aside. And in case you're wondering where that verse comes from, in case you're not sure, God decided at some point that he would narrow down all the rules and all the regulations and he'd bring them all down to the top ten things that we really ought to get right. We call it the ten suggestions. No, that's not what we call it. We call it the ten commandments. And this made the top ten right next to don't murder and don't steal. If you think God takes this seriously, then I need you to lean in. Sounds like a big deal to me. Here, here's what I need you to understand and we'll move on. Um, picked up this quote from a guy many, many years ago. I can't even remember his name. Kim could remind me, um, but I won't take credit for it. It's true. You don't break God's laws. Breaking God's laws breaks you. You don't break God's laws. You may think you do. You may think you're getting away with something, but you don't break God's laws. Breaking God's laws breaks you. Hear me. What I want you to hear me say is that God is this loving shepherd who knows you and loves you, and he knows that you need boundaries in order to enjoy the abundant life that he designed for you, and he loves you enough to make sure you live within those boundaries, even if he has to. What did David say? He makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, if you're burning the candle at both ends, you ain't as bright as you think you are. 
You're just burning yourself out quick. Bottom line is, we need to rest. One of the best days of my life was the day that somebody gave me a rule of thumb that I've tried really hard to, to, to maintain over the years. It's helped me a lot with that struggle that I told you about from my uncle's words rolling around in my head. And, and, and it goes like this. You may want to jot this down somewhere if you're taking notes. Um, every one of us needs a daily diversion, a weekly withdrawal, and an annual abandonment. We need a daily diversion a weekly withdrawal, and an annual abandonment. Every day you need a few minutes of quiet. You need a few minutes where you're not processing your to-do list, a few minutes when you're not going hard after something, whatever that is for you. Quiet time for me, first thing in the morning, Kim. First thing in the morning, we sit down, we drink coffee, we read the Bible, she reads her Bible, I read mine. It's just kind of this journey that we're on side by side, but in our own way. And, uh, and that's just our quiet time uh, in the mornings before we get off in the day. The older I get, the longer I need for my quiet time in order to enjoy the rest of the day. But you understand, there's a daily diversion that has nothing to do with what I do for a living or what's on my to-do list for today. Got it? A weekly withdrawal is I'm just going to set it aside. I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to take that seventh day, whatever day that is for you. I mean, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be Sunday. If, if Sunday is the only Sabbath day available, then I'm in trouble because I work hard every Sunday. You know, it's kind of my job. And so I'm not saying it has to be Sunday, but one day out of seven, you set it aside and you withdraw. You get away from it. You, you catch yourself thinking about work and you take those thoughts captive and say, I'll get, that'll still be there tomorrow. I'm going to get back to that tomorrow. And then at least once a year, you need an abandonment. You need to get away. I told the staff some time ago, went on vacation, and I said, guys, uh, I'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't call me next week unless the building's on fire or something. In fact, don't call me if the building's on fire. Call the fire department. I can't do anything about it. What are you calling me for? I'm in another state. <laughs> you got to get away. You got to turn it off. You got to turn your cell phone off. You got to do something. Because at the end of the day, we've got to rest, we've got to renew, or the abundant life always stays just out of reach. You with me? You're tracking with me? So recognize his love for you becomes the foundation for it all. Enjoy what you already have. Challenge yourself not to always be reaching for what's next, what's more. Limit my labor. A is critical. Adjust my values. Simple truth, we're not going to do the first three until we change what we consider to be important, until we change what we consider to be most important in life. Here's how Jesus said it in Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Read it out loud. I want you to hear yourself reading it. Here we go. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? You know what that says? It says everything has a trade-off. It says every decision has a price tag. And so every time I make a commitment, especially if I'm going to buy something that, that involves using income that has to be produced or, or certainly if it involves debt, every time I make a decision, every time I make a commitment, i got to stop and ask myself, is it worth it? Because every commitment, every decision has a price Am I willing to pay it? Now, there's some very high-level commitments that we ask you to make around here on a regular basis. Get into a small group, join a serve team, take ownership class, become a part of the life of this church. Is there a cost to those things? Somebody say yes. Of course there is. 
You're going to commit time. You're going to commit talents. You're going to commit treasures. You're going to commit all kinds of things to being a part of a move of God. Is there a benefit to that? I think the benefit far outweighs the cost. I'm confident of it. But don't kid yourself. Every commitment has a price tag. But we all make commitments that are, that where the, the cost far outweighs the benefit unless we stop and think. I mean, you may be making great money right now, but is your family getting what they need from you? You, you may have a great house, but do you have a home? You may be climbing the ladder of success two rungs at a time, but are you sure which wall that ladder's leaning against? You stop and ask yourself the question, is this worth the cost? Recognize that God loves you, not because of what you do or don't do, but because of who he is. Enjoy what he's already blessed you with while you work for other things. Nobody's saying don't have stuff. Limit my labor. Put a decision. Put a boundary on it. At the very least, it needs to be the boundary that God set. Six days labor, one day rest and renew. Then finally, adjust my values. I will manage my life, manage my commitments in a way that the most valuable things I have time for. Finally, the X stands for exchange my pressure for God's peace. Exchange my pressure for God's peace. I love the message paraphrase of Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. 29. Let me read it to you. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Come away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, Jesus said, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That doesn't sound hectic to me. That sounds productive and restful. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever noticed how little kids don't like to go to bed? You, you never noticed that? I mean, they could be sitting in their high chair, their face falling into their food, their sleep, right? Or they can just be so exhausted, they're just wailing for no reason. And you know it's because they're utterly exhausted. But when you start to put them to bed, what do they do? Ah, I don't want to go to bed. I'm not ready for bed. I'm not sleeping. Right? That's what, they, that's what they do. And what do you do as a loving parent? What do you say as a loving parent when that's what your child does? When he screams, she screams at you those words, what do you say? Well, Hopefully, you start out gently and, you know, kind of, well, you need your sleep. You kind of reason with them. This is really important. You'll feel so good when you get up in the morning. You'll, you'll, you'll you know, kind of gently explain to them why. You'll give them the reasons why. And if they won't respond to that, eventually, you'll put them in the crib and say, stay there, boy. You don't want me to come back in here. I mean, you're going to do what you have to do to make that child stay in the crib to get some sleep because you know they're going to get sick if they don't. That's what loving parents do. And our shepherd is saying, if I have to make you lie down in green pastures, I will. I really prefer the gentle approach. 
I'd really prefer to come do life with me and watch the unforced rhythms of grace begin to flow. That's what mature people do. I got to close, but I need you to understand that we live in a world that cannot give you that kind of rest. Richard Swenson wrote a book called Margin a few years ago, and I captured a quote from it some time ago that I ran across just this week, and uh, I think it describes our culture pretty well. You tell me. To understand how our society experiences time, we need to examine its vocabulary. We talk of no time, lack of time, not enough time, or being out of time. Trying to get more time, we borrow time only to incur time debt and end up with even less time. Management of the workplace is so time conscious that they practice time management skills and time compression techniques. They use a computerized timepiece to assure work ethics are time intensive with no time lost. This sense of time and urgency creates time pressures and more time stress. And then it's crisis time. Whatever happened, he said to he leads me beside still water. The question, and I'll hush, is, is he your shepherd? We talked about it last week. We'll, I'll mention it every week throughout this series. Is Jesus your shepherd? I'm not asking you if you're saved. I'm not asking you if you've put your faith in him for eternity. I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the fulfilling and abundant life now. How do you get a life that is productive and restful? The ABC simply is accept Jesus as your Savior. Accept his love for you. Be honest about your sin. If you've been sinning against the Sabbath, be honest about it and confess it. The Bible says if we will confess, God will forgive. And then commit to community. This abundant life gets lived out in the community of other brothers and sisters. I was sitting in a small group a few years ago now, and it's a good mix of people in our small group and uh, some long-term Christians, some new Christians. There was one guy sitting across the living room from me, coffee table between us, and, and, uh, and, and he said, after we finished the lesson we were gonna do that night, and, we're just dialoguing a little bit. He looked at me and he said, uh, Pastor Jim, can I ask you a personal question? I said, well, sure, what, what's up? He said, I hear you say how much you love your family and it challenges me to love my family. I hear you say how much you love Kim and, and your boys and it, it really challenges me to be a better father and husband, so thank you for that. But I also hear you say that you typically work 70, 80, 90 hours a week. How do you pull that off? I, I need to know. How, how do you do that? Freddy Krueger might just have well reached across the coffee table and slashed me open. Because I looked at him and said, Robert, I'm lying to myself and you. Because that's not possible. Thank you for that accountability. Loving support and accountability that I need. Yes, accept Jesus as your Savior. Yes, be honest about your sin, but commit to community. 
because it is in genuine community. And I'm not talking about being a part of the crowd on a big Sunday morning. I'm talking about community, a small group of people. They get to know each other, love each other, engage one another, and watch the abundant life come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of just stopping and asking ourselves what is sometimes hard questions about our to-do list, about our attitudes toward time and work and attitude toward you, our attitude toward your laws. And I pray simply, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us today, whether in this room or online, that you'd speak to us very clearly today. Help us to understand that part of the abundant life includes time for rest and renewal. I thank you that you built us that way. You built the system that way. Thank you for the benefits that come from it. So now forgive us for violating that. Help us to learn to relax. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a second. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Pray silently, pray loud. I don't care. But I want you to pray the ABCs with me this morning. Jesus, I accept your love. I put my trust in what you did for me on Calvary. I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven. I realize I can't. I'm not trying to earn your love. I can't. I don't have to. I recognize your love for me. I accept you as my Savior. Lord, help me to be honest with my sin, my failures in these areas, my belief that somehow I am the exception to the rule, that I have to do these things, that, that, that life demands that I do these things, that, I, that somehow I'll beat the system because I have no choice. Forgive me, Lord, for forgetting that you don't break God's laws. Breaking God's laws breaks you. Remind me today and forgive me for my failures and help me to commit to a community of people, a small group of brothers and sisters in Christ who will love me enough to encourage me, challenge me, walk with me, help me, do life with me so that we all enjoy the abundant life together. Be my shepherd, be our shepherd, I pray. In Jesus' name.